What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Origin Story, which is an offshoot of the podcast For the Love of Cinema. You can check that out also on this channel. I'm one of your hosts, Grayson Maxwell, joining me as he does sporadically through the month. Is uh, Brandon Boring, your other host. Brandon, how are you, sir? What have you been into lately? Uh, you know, just uh, getting back on stage, doing some improv comedy and things around town. Uh, I have a little little time off here from traditional theater after directing the show back in December. Uh, so looking to, to do some things coming up here in the spring and possibly the summer. Uh, I might get back on stage myself with some theater things. But other than that, just uh, enjoying life and uh, enjoying some time off after the, the holidays and everything. Nice. Well, well deserved. You were very busy with that holiday lead up. I do remember mm-hmm. a couple of conversations where we were trying to schedule things and you were like, I might be able to give you an hour here, an hour. <laughs> yeah, Jeez. no, it, it, was, it was tough fitting in. I'm like, okay, I have, I have two nights off this week and I afford to watch a movie and, and talk about it in one of my two nights. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, that's pretty insane. Actually, I, you're very busy, but I mean, it's good to be busy. It makes time go by. You know, it's good to be busy as an adult when you're not busy. I think that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's why I prefer, you know, when I, when I find when I'm not doing shows, I'm not working on things, I'll sit around and dug you know, for a week or so I enjoy sitting around playing some video games or reading some books, but then I'm like, all right, I gotta, I gotta be doing something here with my evenings. Fair. Have you, do you have your eyes locked on your next stage, uh, project? Uh, not for directing next. I have a few auditions coming up for just some different things this summer. Uh, this weekend, I'm auditioning for the whole summer season of uh, Actors Theater is the name of the company here in Columbus. They do a, a whole season of classical works. So Shakespeare and some other contemporary writers of Shakespeare is their primary focus, which is something I've not actually done on stage before. So that uh, I'm hopeful for because it would be nice to sort of, I think, stretch some muscles and help me grow a little bit as a performer if I got a chance to do that. Well, good. I mean, I, of course, wish you the best of luck and everyone listening, I hope will also wish you the best of luck. That's, that's pretty cool though, man. It's something that I, you know, honest to God, that's something I always wanted to get into. And I just not necessarily the stage. I'm, I'm more of a, I'm, I'm more of a, you know, say a couple lines of dialogue cut <laughs> reset of mm-hmm. it. <laughs> but I mean, you've, you've always had this insane passion for the stage. And I got to say it, I, I admire that because I mean, I feel like a lot of people have not have lost that over the years. You know, I mean, I don't know how big theater communities are these days, but they can't possibly be bigger than they were, you know, decades ago, right? I mean, it's hard to say. You know, it's it's hard to say because professional, they, there's more and more opportunities, but it, it's it's really hard to judge what is what size is where compared. Because now with social media, everything can seem as big as you want it. You know, yeah, these things that always existed in the world and with their fan bases now are much more vocal. Uh, just because everyone can amplify their voice around the entire world. So it's it's really hard for me to sort of get an, uh, an objective view of maybe sort of the comparative uh, fields. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Um, so before we jump into the movie of the week, which is The War, directed by John Avnet, have you been watching anything or anything you of note lately? Uh, I went. I finally got into the theater, and you think I would have seen it before. I finally got in and saw West Side Story last week. Okay, I I have to know... Now, I didn't particularly care for that movie, but that movie's up for like seven Oscars. I never would have guessed it, but do you think it deserves such accolades? I do. I really enjoyed it. I thought I thought uh, it was a beautiful film to look at. I thought the dancing was phenomenal, and it was also shot very well for a musical. It was shot in a way that didn't hide what it was. Um, both that and Tick, Tick, Boom, I think, were made with people who understood the medium and understood what they were shooting in a way that some movie musicals do not. 
Uh, now, and there are a lot of very good performances in there as well. Now, not all of them and not everything I would have agreed with, but I think, I think it's a, a, a very solid film that I, I very much enjoyed. And I would, I would be happy to see uh, more movie musicals come along that way. I, I thought it was a very well-made movie. I just don't think it's best picture quality or anything of that nature. But one, I'm glad you mentioned Tick, Tick, Boom, because, boy, Andrew Garfield, he just continues to impress. Oh, yeah. He's, he's so good in that movie. And I, I, I was here's the thing. Tick, Tick, Boom, in my opinion, is not a particularly great stage show. Uh, the stage show that exists is just kind of cobbled together from the uh, you know existing work that Jonathan Larson had presented. Um sort of after the fact just you know from a from a sort of a theater crowd desperate for more from the composer of rent who tragically you know uh, passed away very young uh but the movie they were able to sort of do a lot more with than they do the stage show unfortunately they had you know lin-manuel miranda behind it so he was able to to use that with the, the support of jonathan larson's estate to sort of get more material and expand it and really make a, a full-fledged story out of it and yeah andrew garfield's performance in that is just phenomenal yeah i mean it's I mean, I can't imagine. It's so hard when you get down to, for instance, the Oscars. Looking at like, how do you judge best? Like, once you narrow it down to like six or seven performances, how do you choose the best? You know, I mean, because just, they're, they're all very worthy. Yeah, it's it's honestly a coin toss. You know, for that at least it's an aggregate of uh, voters. You know, even for me, when I'm you know when I'm looking at different things or trying to weigh one performance against another, you know, you can't really say, well, this is better than that because they're working with different material and. They both could be doing, you know, as perfectly as anyone could with what they're given. Does that make one performance better because they had a better screenplay or their scenes were shot better? You know, it, it's such a collaborative medium that it is odd for me to to sort of compare subjective things like that. But I mean, it nothing's perfect. It, it is what they have. I, I, you know, all industry awards, all art awards are really, really subjective like that. So you just aggregate a bunch of voters and hope hope for the best. I, I've never known how they choose. I mean, obviously, I think politics play a part, but oh, big deal, yeah. I mean, that's coming up soon. Like the Super Bowl, the movies here coming up uh, very soon for for that. But uh, that's another conversation for another day. I'm sure we'll on one of the next two episodes we'll talk about the the Oscar wrap up. Just I just kind of want to pick your thoughts, see we see what you thought about them. But um, we may get another episode in before the Oscars. I think it's at the end of what March 25th or something at the end of the month. Uh, possibly. I'll be. I am bad about tracking the dates on this. We, that sounds right, though. I wanted to get um, March or April. I want to try to like get us caught up with like having minimum of one episode a month. And I know we skipped one in January or February, so um, or January, I think. So I'm, I want to get us caught up. So that might be you know one accelerated schedule here soon. But we'll we can talk about that. But Brandon, without further ado, sir, if you don't mind, I would love to excuse me, jump in with you to talking about one of my favorite movies growing up, The War. Uh, yeah, ready if, to if, go. yeah, I am. Uh, you know, this is the first time I watched it. I never even heard of this film. I believe I told you that when you when you picked it out. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. A lot of people haven't. Um, mm-hmm. And it's still it's. We have a lot to say about this, but going back to. Uh, I mean, I think. Me being born, I feel very fortunate to be born where I, especially me being in love with movies is me being so young in the, in the early to mid to late nineties, you know, I was 15 in 2000, something like that puts me way younger in the early 2000 or in the early nineties. And, but to me, when I watch movies from like the, the mid to late nineties, it's just, 
that is like big Hollywood to me is some of those movies are just so overproduced and so overlit and so like just they just threw money at everything and just man oh man so many of my movies come my favorite movies for instance you know I talk about Legends of the Fall a lot we'll talk about that one I'm sure First Night uh, Rob Roy uh, Braveheart it's just so many movies from the mid 90s I just are just on such they just I mean, they live rent free for wanting using one of your phrases. They live rent free in my head. And I just think about them over and over and over again. And so many of those movies come from like, like 93 to like 99, just mm-hmm. bam, right in that time frame. But I mean, the war for me sits perfectly in that time zone. It's just Kevin Costner was huge at this time. I mean, he had just, when was Robin Hood? That had to be what, like 92, 91? Uh, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, I think that seems right. Uh, but again, that was another Costner movie that to me is one of those head scratchers. I'm like, how in the world? Did this, happen? this movie's kind of laughably bad. But I have met people who are like diehard Robin Hood fans, like the mm-hmm. Costner version. Mm-hmm. And I, honest to God, I watch that movie sometimes. And I try my very hardest to see what they must see. And I just can't. I don't know if that's my failing or if it's a failing a failing somewhere else down the line, but man, I just cannot see what people see in that movie. You know, usually if like, for instance, I can see what you see in West side story. We just talked about a little bit ago. I just particularly did. It just was not my thing, but people just like Robin hood is one of the best movies you're ever going to see with Kevin Costner. I'm like, are you serious? The- I mean, Alan Rickman's really good in it, movie? but that's about all I can think of. I mean, Morgan Freeman is obviously Morgan Freeman. Kevin Costner is he way overacting in that movie and wasn't he certainly was not ready for that role. But I mean, Field of Dreams, one of Costner's, I think, best movies is, you know, years before that, 86, I think. So, I mean, half a decade before that. But also in the war, it's just I don't Kevin Costner knows. He knows when he's good. He knows what he knows. He's the best when he always has when he has the older. Person helping him for example the untouchables with sean connery mm-hmm. um what the open range with robert duvall he has you know morgan freeman and robin hood uh field of dreams um james Earl jones he knows he knows where his sweet spot is and like he knows what he has to have to play off of and i don't you know watching all of kevin costner films it's very obvious that he figured that out pretty early on in his career but this one there really wasn't anyone i mean I just watched. I just refreshed myself in this movie again. Elijah Wood, holy mother! But before we get into, let's get into some particulars though about the war. So, the war is about a family struggling in the early seventies in Juliet, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Costner plays the father figure who has come back from the Vietnam War. He is, he's not right. He still has you know incredible nightmares. He still can't seem to shake off the the Vietnam stench that so many men coming back from the war just had such a hard time dealing with. So that's, I mean, historically that's pretty accurate. Um, he's had a hard time finding work. He was, he was in a mental hospital for a while trying to get better. And that's when we catch up with the Simmons family is right when Costner's um, Stephen Simmons gets out of the mental hospital and he's back and he's, he's better than he's been in a long time, but he's still just not right. 
And joining Kevin Costner, of course, Elijah Wood, uh, Mayor Winningham, Lex Randall, who plays the little sister, Joanne. Well, the sister, the older sister than yeah. um, Stu, um, Joanne Simmons. But she's also fantastic. Um, and also it's I always I love Lucas Black. He's one of my favorite actors. I just, <laughs> he's in so many of my favorite movies. But um, this is his film debut. I say it was um, weird seeing him because I kept seeing him and be like, oh, that's weird. Because uh, I couldn't like separate him from the rest of his sort of movies. Isn't it though? Yeah, and, it's very odd. And there, um, the, he, he plays Mo Henry. Bruce A. Young plays Mo Henry. He was in so many movies from like the mid to late 90s. And again, I just like, every time I see that guy, I'm like, oh, I wish I would have, I wish I could meet that guy. I wish I could have had, you know, five minute conversations with that guy about things he's worked on that I just love. You just want a Tokyo Drift, man. I know. We all know. <laughs> <laughs> amen, amen, amen. Um, yeah, this is Bruce Young. Rainer, Shin, Rainer Sheeney is um, Mr. Lipnicki, and he has a whole host of kids that, you know, they do a very good job. Christine Baranski. Yeah, Christine um, is, Baranski out of nowhere. I'm, I'm watching the movie, and like an hour and 20 minutes in, I'm like, Christine Baranski's in this. I was... She plays an incredibly bigoted racist teacher, and it's yeah that they they drop in way too. Uh, I, we'll get into it, but yeah, that's one of the many things that is kind of like uh, I guess we'll throw this in there too. I'm like, you, you can't just like do this and then not really give it right time. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the whole thing is like this is an Avnet movie. It's unfortunately, I, what what I was referring to earlier, talking about things that I think I, I feel like you had a problem with Brandon was there's a couple. I, there's at least you could shake out two different movies from this movie. If you really tried and maybe put in a little effort reshoots and recutting of the script, you could make two different movies from this movie. Um, and I think that's part of the problem is so much of this movie, so much of the, the problem of the nineties is the, the forced overproduction, the forced overwriting. I mean, my favorite movie of all time of all time, Braveheart suffers from like, it's a phenomenal movie, but the Randall Wallace overwrite was you know the as he's dying the princess is telling the king that wallace's child is going to be the king of scotland like um come on that's <laughs> that's a bit of an overwriting but like i mean it fits the movie it's fine but there's so much of and we're going to get into it man but like i was able to like i had identified several scenes where they just tended to I'm, 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 I imagine it was Costner. I imagine it was all Costner who wanted these, who wanted these like ideas that try to attempted to examine people in everyday situations in life, trying to cope. Um, one scene that I want to mention right now, we'll, we'll get to it later, but I think is incredibly overwritten is um, when him and his son, Stu, are out by the tree and they're finishing his story. Like you see the end of the Vietnam story. Yeah. And like, that is such a, I love that scene, but also it's very painful to watch as someone who's like a film student, a lifelong film student and like a lifelong film student of writing too. It's like, that's a very painful scene to watch because it's so not right for the movie. You know what I mean? Like and also we hundred percent knew what was going to happen. Like, we as an audience, when he tells the first half of the story, I know what the ending of the story is going to be. Like, I, I didn't, I'm not like the child who doesn't know. So then I'm just seeing the whole time like, okay, yep, I get it. I get it. Yep. But, I mean, that's, of all the things in this movie, all the problems, I don't think the Vietnam story is any bit of a problem. I, 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 I'm going to try to make a bold claim and say that I actually think that helped the movie more than it hurt the movie. I don't think they do anything with it to earn it. Like, honestly, that's that's my stance on most of the stuff is like, 
most of the stuff they introduce is interesting ideas, and then they just don't do anything with it. It's like, and we mentioned this idea. Moving on to the next scene. Well, but again, if it, if it was made in any other, I mean, if it was made a couple years before or, you know, a decade later, the Vietnam part would have been axed to, the visual Vietnam would have been axed, and it just would have been a conversation, or you would have seen like 45 seconds of it. It wouldn't have been, but it was the 90s, and of course, Costner wanted that in there. And, you know, it's just, mm. man. I mean, God almighty. But so let's, okay, so let's start with the opening of this movie focuses on a tree, the a tree which has huge thematic resonance to the entire movie, this massive tree, which is a filming location for a lot of, it's a very famous location. That tree is very famous when it comes to Hollywood. It's been in a number of different movies. Uh, some movies feature it longer than others, but this one is very prominently featured. Um, and it's it's got a huge thematic resonance, and I'm hoping, Brand, that you enjoyed that part of it too. That's, I mean, I'm looking at this as a nine year old self, and I, I love that. I mean, I didn't quite know back then why it was important, the tree, but like I just I was enamored with it. I was like, that's got to be important because they waste so much time on it. So why? I mean, because <laughs> they waste so much time on it. <laughs> okay, waste is a bad word. They they spend so much time with the tree, but and it's also back in the time when like. I was not like the TV commercials, everything you watch, you know, every big movie was, oh, this Legend of the Falls, number one movie, you know, Face Off is America's number one movie, Broken Arrows, <laughs> number one movie in America. You know, of course, as a kid, you want to go see those cool movies. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things. I just happened to be the right age at the right time for that. But it was the, it was the, the promotional material that got me that like, Wait, I is just. Is this the number one movie? For like, I, I imagine the commercial said it was for a little while. But. Okay, because like I had never heard of this, and I feel like I would have at least heard of the number one film. In the, the well, I'm, I'm sure they would. I'm sure the the advertising. I can't remember exactly gotcha. the advertising, yeah, yeah. but it would definitely would have had TV spots all over the place, especially with Costner and you know Mar Winningham, who was huge. Um, so the tree, and it's like the camera's like rotating around this tree, showing you every angle of it, showing you everything, with of course this wonderful Hollywood score behind it. And then we come to Stuart and, Lyd- and Lydia who jump down and like, he's coming, he's home. Like, were they just sitting in the tree this whole time? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, she drove up to him. He was sitting in the tree. Okay. She- he was, okay. That's right. He was sitting in the tree. She drove up. Yeah. And, and she's 12 driving. Yeah. Yep. It was just, which is a fun little thing. I'm like, okay, this, I mean, it makes sense. I come from a rural area, you know, we are like, okay, that's not, I've seen young, <laughs> young people drive trucks and let alone in the seventies. I'm sure that was all the time. And then we we lose we drop the Hollywood score we drop the the instrumental, and we go into who will stop the rain, and as they as they as they drive and like we're being introduced to 1972 Juliet Mississippi, um, and then one of my favorite things and I hope you picked up on this Brandon because it's like nine year old self it just blew my mind when I finally figured this out much like you know there's a part in Beauty and the Beast in the end that just blew my mind when I finally figured it out when I was watching it but. Um, is when you see this long shot of them driving through what I think is like a, a cornfield, a cotton field, some, some long field and they're driving on the road and you see them drive. Like it's, it's like a 15 second shot. while well, while the song finishes and then, so they drive by and then the camera that's up in that, like that's, that's way up in the, in the air then comes down to the road where the dust is settling from the car. And then you, and then you, you lose the who'll stop the rain. And then you get into the, the sad, the setting the tone Hollywood score. And I like, when I finally, I think I was thinking about it one day after I saw the movie in class night and it hit me was that camera, that, that dolly down was when you, 
when you're up in the air, everything's fine. Like when you're in this kind of a make-believe la-la world, like we were in the movie theater, like it's fun. It's hip to watch a movie. And then like all of a sudden when the camera comes down to the ground level is when like the, like the song, the sad, somber setting of the tone. I'm like, that's, you know, when you come down to earth, that's when it hits you. I'm like, Oh my God, that's so crazy. That's one of, that's one of my early, my earliest revelations in film is right there. So that's why this movie has such huge resonance with me is that moment exactly did, did you you remember, you remember what i'm all talking about at, at uh, all? i wasn't tracking that like at that at this point i was too distracted by this opening uh <laughs> narration no the opening narration i was like this film wants to be to kill a mockingbird so bad but it's not nearly as well written or handled no you're absolutely right about that like it, watching I mean, it i was like i was like i get it the small southern girl talking about her father and the summer that changed her life i'm like i get it it's to kill a mockingbird i get it trying to talk about the american experience through the eyes of a child who doesn't fully understand all the adult issues but it's yeah it's not balanced in the right way like that you know i mean not, not knocking them it's one of the greatest you know american novels ever written but uh it that that is what the sort of the movie is set its sight on and it declares that early with a very obvious opening narration and i'm like oh i think you're writing checks you're not going to cash your movie and uh, <laughs> that, that pretty much is how i felt throughout well, I mean, it's very important because, I mean, so who – Lydia is telling the story through her memoirs. That much is pretty obvious in the, in, in, the, in the beginning. You know, when she says, like, my name is Lydia Joanne Simmons and these here are my memoirs. You know, it's like – it's very obvious that we're – whatever narration we're going to get is, is after the fact. Mm-hmm. And after the experiences have already been had and looking back with a little older, a little wiser, which I always really appreciate – However, I don't think they we kind of abandoned the narration halfway through the movie. Yeah. And I I don't understand why you would start with that and not just and, and then where does it go? The film doesn't treat her as the main character is the problem. Like it could have. And like I understand that she has to be the narrator because she's the one who's in summer school who gets the assignment to write the memoir, but since the film is so clear, there's so many scenes of that she has no point of view on, she has no commentary on that it it takes us out of this narration, and then it just kind of comes back in the middle, and then it fades away again, and it comes back in the end. It's very confusing. That's what I thought was very strange because there are so many of those because a lot of the a lot of the very impactful scenes are of course um, Stephen talking to his son Stu about his experience in the war and what what it means to fight, what it means to, to not fight. And Lydia would never have known any of that. Like yeah. that's a, so like, I don't, so like that part I think was brought into it probably late in production for the reason of giving people the mockingbird vibe. Right. I mean, am, am I wrong in that? I thought, honestly, I, I, I couldn't normally, I try to see squint and see sort of how these things started. Um, but it's, you know, it's one screenwriter from what I saw. Uh, writing the thing and i i couldn't tell you where the idea started if it started as the idea of doing this you know kids fighting over the tree house and learning from their dad's story if it started as this man recovering from the war and teaching his children about life you know i i really couldn't tell you what the origin of this one even was well the whole i think this is part of i mean the thomas newman score thomas newman's my favorite composer of all time and there's oh, it's a great score i'll give him that and the 90s was like, that was Thomas Newman's time, man. He did what? He did Shawshank, right? He did Green Mile. I mean, like, Jesus, man. Those are, those are two very legendary movies. And, he, I mean, he's done so many movies I love. Cinderella, man. He's just, man, he's so good. Um, and just his score, I think, really does really does help set the – and there, there are a lot of times when 
in this movie when th- I mean I I can what I appreciate looking back and even when it happens in some very very recent films is I appreciate when a director sets up a camera and just lets them go. You know, there's not too many cuts. Mm-hmm. You're you're watching the power of performance on screen without having all these thousands of cuts and you know, it just to me that's it makes for a better it puts me in it more. Because I mean, you know, going back to the whole the camera's a window thing, you know, the whole John Ford using the camera as a window thing, it's you know, it's a lot of those scenes, for instance, when, you know, the bedroom scene with the father explaining to Stephen explaining to his wife why he doesn't want his kids thinking the world's against him, like that's like a that's a several minute scene where there's just no cuts. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. I, I matter of fact, I, I instantly love it every time I see it. I forget about it, and then I see it. And I'm like, oh, that's I, I love that. I know I love that. I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know how you felt about it's that. Not, it's not. It's like I said. It's not directed without craft, and I, I do appreciate those. Um, but I, yeah, it. I, I think it's just it's the story for me that I think is underserved in all aspects. Um, and so like, and there's some great performances. And there are even some individual scenes. I'm like, okay, this scene really hits, but it doesn't resonate with the surrounding material, and or it's just kind of like lip service and and half baked demonstration of the ideas you're going for. Well, that's that's like so many of these scenes mm-hmm. are as an isolated scene. It might be great, but it doesn't. Outside of being a cool scene, it doesn't work. Yeah, you know, like I mean, one of the coolest scenes in the movie, of course, is when he drags his buddy Dodge to, to the chopper. And then he he points his pistol at the pilot and said, "We're both getting out of here." I mean, that's I mean, obviously that's one of the catcher moments. Like that's one of the moments that they teased in the in the TV spot so many times. I remember that one straight up, and it's it's a cool moment. It is, but without with without more resonance to the moment, it doesn't. It just it it just falls flat. Yeah, it feels it, it does feel like it has stakes. It feels like a, we just need you know we need him to have a, a you know this tragic backstory to really have scarred him from the war. And since we're seeing him even post, because not even he immediately got back. He he got back and he was already having struggles and he was checked into an institution and he's now out of it. I was surprised by that. I thought it was going to start with him returning from the war, when in fact it starts them further down his journey. And honestly with one exception where he still seems perfectly in control of his faculties in all, in all ways, he doesn't really seem impacted by the effects he's having. Like he has the one nightmare and then he's, you know, he, he attacks the one man who is threatening his child, which pretty fair. Um, he, yeah. we don't see him like struggling with the impact of it. And so I'm like to, to really lean on this heavy backstory. Like I get that, you know, it's weighing on him, but, it doesn't seem to be affecting the film in any way. You just wanted to have these scenes in this backstory. That, that's, I mean, that's what ultimately remains to be an unconnected. I mean, it's connected, but it's just, it's just peace moving from peace, moving from peace to peace to peace without having any like real connectivity through the whole movie. You know, that's, yeah. I think that's part of what the war suffers from. And it's so wholly unconnected to, what the lesson that his kids learn and the, the kids experience. Cause ultimately he, he he's teaching his kids like violence isn't the answer. Try to reach out to them. Like, you know, tr- try to make peace with your enemies and, you know, fighting should not be the, the answer. And like the specific thing of his injured friend and his guilt over abandoning him. Like that is not tied into the, like, it, I mean, a larger sense in that the Vietnam war in many ways, you know, was not a, ju- you know, not, not, not a war with a lot of cause, 
So in sort of in a macro scale, you could say like, well, violence wasn't the answer to start that war, but it's it's so unattached to the specific events of what his kids learn from him that it's it, that's what's really baffling to me about it. No, you're not wrong about that. I mean, the whole thing with Dodge and then that's why he gets hurt helping his friend out of the mines because he's not going to leave someone behind a second time. It's just not going to happen. That's not, you know, he learned once, not going to do it again. But I mean, that's, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but yeah. Well, see, I didn't, I never got that. I mean, what you said about him being back and I mean, he does damn near kill his son when his son goes to wake him up for breakfast. He like spins him over. I've, I, you know, I don't know. I grew up with an older brother, so I feel like I got hit worse (laughs) than that just playing on a daily basis. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, execution may be flawed, but I mean, we're getting, I mean, even though, because I mean, they stole the, you know, the thing from apocalypse. Now the, the chopper sound, mm-hmm. I mean, so you, that tells us that he's still, I mean, he's having one of his nightmares and then his son like taps him in and he like, he grabs him and I don't think he did it aggressively enough and quick enough for it to be part of the nightmare. Mm-hmm. But that's just me watching this movie a hundred times that I'm just critiquing things that I'm not sure many people would even respond to. But I mean, t- Am I convinced that he is still a man who's not right? Sure. That's, I don't think there's any question on that one. I think, at least for me, you may have a different. No, I think, I think he has issues. And I mean, the, the text of the film is telling me he has issues, but it, it has no tangible impact. It's not like he gets fired from any of the jobs because of the, you know, that's all in the okay, past. Fair. All those things fair, are fair. before the film starts. Okay. I, I got you on that one. Yeah. No, of course. And then, so he is back from the mental hospital and he's, he's okay now, but he's, you know, he and then when story takes us to he gets a job at a school janitor and then he gets let go a week later because they found out he was in a mental hospital and you can't be in a mental hospital working around children. And of course, that just adds more stress. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the family is really suffering. They are dirt poor, you know, yes. getting by barely. They're eating potatoes for almost every meal. Um, it, it's not a good situation. And the movie does a very good job of like giving you that very bleak you know, visit to 1972 Mississippi in the Simmons household. Mm-hmm. I always thought the movie does a very good job of doing that. Like visually, it does a fantastic job of like, man, that sucks. You know, like just looking at a situation like, God, I just, I don't envy them at all. You know, it's like one of those visually the movie does better what it does than subtextually, I think. Oh yeah. I, I, I really like the world it created. Uh, while I didn't always like, you know, what the film was doing. Yeah. It, it, I had a very clear picture of who these characters were and the world they inhabited. Uh, so it, d- it does a good job with that. I, you know me, I'm a sucker for story within a story of a story being told within a movie already telling us a story. You know, I'm a sucker for that. Mm-hmm. And of course the Vietnam section is broken up into a couple of different pieces. Um, and when he starts telling his son in the donut shop in the morning, you know, okay, so you see the story start you know, they're whatever village they were in in Vietnam, they were, you know, he says the village has been traded so many times, gone back and forth that the local people were just, they didn't know what to do. They just stayed in the trenches, kept their head down. You know, his unit gets cut off, surrounded, and then we cut away. You know, him and Dodge get out of the, get out of the worst, but they're still being chased by the Viet Cong. And that's it. We're like, then we cut away. We're, we're done. And then we, we come back to 1972 you know, we find out Stu's going to go build a tree house with his friends, his two friends. Um, and his sister also has the same site plan for her own tree house. So, I mean, you know, and this is, I like the kind of the motif here of, 
I'm just proud of myself for getting it when I was so young of like a movie called The War. It's, 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 it's about a man who went to war, come back, and he's not right. And now his kids are starting their own wars with friends they don't – well, with kids in their grade that and higher that they just don't get along with. I mean, I think the movie goes a little bit too far with that at that time. When oh, I, when I mean, oh, oh boy, does it! We'll, what I mean a little, what I mean a little too far. I mean, like Molotov cocktails being thrown. Well, we're going to we're going to talk about uh, one of the needle drops at, towards the end of the film that I was okay. like, okay, you can't make this film have all the things you've had up to this point and then do this. No, of course not. But that's you know that's the overwriting of the '90s. That's the overproducing. I guess. You know, they boy, just they, they just shove it in, man. Uh, we're introduced to Lipnickies, who are just this uh, family of kids, you know, not also, they're also not well off. They don't have a lot of money, have dirt on their face all the time, but they beat on Stu and Lydia and at a, at a regular, you know, at a regular interval too. They don't know. Stu takes his beatings a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that kid is, I going back to the whole Elijah Wood thing. I actually think Elijah Wood might be the best thing this movie has in it. Honestly, yeah, he, he's like, don't get me wrong. Kevin Costner does, does more than his job here. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think Elijah's probably the best performance in it. Um, it might just be because he has better to do because just by the nature of what's written, Kevin is, you know, most of it is holding back and just trying to play this kind of folksy wisdom and impart to his children. And uh, Elijah has to play a sort of live wire that, you know, has, has a, a wider sort of range in the film, but he's, he's really good in this for how young he is. He's great. Well, the, the the core family is great. Uh, Elijah Wood, Kevin Costner, Mar Winningham, and Lex Randall. Fam, I mean, all of them are fantastic. That is fair, yes. And even the the Elva Dean uh, Latoya Chisholm was, I mean, just superb. You know, I mean, just amazing at what they. I mean, just performances off the charts. You know, for everyone in this movie, pretty pretty much. And that that's what makes it such a a hard one for me to put in the column and you know if you're going to put it in the good or bad column for you know to be as broad as possible it's hard one for me to say isn't in the good column because as it has great ideas it has a great cast it has for the most part great writing it has some very strong scenes but unfortunately it just doesn't gel together but okay so moving on down the um moving on down the, the way a little, little bit you know Stu gets a little insight into his father just being so messed up and I'm. Let me just ask you this question. I'm a fan of going to Vietnam for a few minutes and seeing Simmons and Dodge's story play out. Are you a fan of that, or did you think it hurt the movie? Uh, I think it hurt the movie as it exists now. Uh, I think there could be a movie that that works in, but it's yeah, it 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 was distracting to me. Really distracting. Yeah, yeah it, I think I think okay. it didn't fit. I didn't. It did because honestly, they're. Despite what they're trying to say, they are not interested in telling the story of the experience of a soldier coming back from Vietnam. They're just, well, they're just, the film is just straight up not interested in that. It's starting after he's dealt with all that. It really has almost no impact on him as a character in the plot. And other than wanting to teach his kids to not choose violence, it, it yeah. So, so going on this whole Vietnam tangent, I, it, it felt like a waste of time to me. It was a cul de sac that we didn't need. Interesting. Interesting how we both have different takes on that. I see. I I, I see it as very essential to because we don't get his. We're we're already past the point where his mental state was at its worst, so I think it helps us to see what put him there. And I mean, the whole Dodge thing. Maybe again, I see it. I just don't know if I buy it. You know, like I know it's there for for what purpose it's there. I just don't know because that's. I mean. Arguably, I mean the, the 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 scene which we're coming to with at the at the fair 
with um, when him and Stu go to the fair to put money to put a bid in on a house. Mm-hmm. And you know they get they get caught up with the lip nickies who I love how they call them. <laughs> you might as well call them the lip kickies. Um, and you know they get Stu gets into a fight again, and then his father gets into a fight. And I love the, you know I, I'm I'm always a fan of great lines. And like I mean there are some great ones. I mean in film history, but I'm not saying this one deserves to be there. But you know when when Simmons gets in a fight with Papa Lip Nicky, who's slamming his car, and who, who then who then goes after Stu, you know he restrain. I mean Simmons restrains him puts him on the ground and puts his hand on his neck and says, if you go out to my son, you're going to push a button on me and I'm going to lose control and I'm going to kill you. I just think that's such a great line. That might be one of the best lines in the whole movie. And this movie has some great lines in it. But that's literally the only line that like, it matters that he has this darkness in him from Vietnam. Like, so while I enjoyed that, I was like, okay, I guess you referenced sort of the Vietnam of it all once. That's, that's the only time it has any kind of consequences that he admits that there is a button in him that uh, it, it gets pressed and unpressed. And even really then, his story was not even about the sort of violence and choices he had to make. Like, it was about abandoning one specific friend, not so much as, you know, the the consequence in his ability to take a life, which is sort of more the darkness that that is calling up. Well, he does refer to that as, you know, he said he, t- he took more lives than he ever had friends before or after the war. So, I mean, I mean, he does. There are, there are a few lines that refer to that, whether whether they're powerful enough in the time. And the viewer remembers down the road when it matters. That's a whole different issue. But I mean, there are lines that do refer to that. Maybe the placement is not wise because they come so early that it's almost like they just, yep, check. Did he say that? Yep, check. Checklist. <laughs> Checklist done. Now, now, let's, now let's, let's make the movie we want to make. You know, that's kind of how it feels to me some, sometimes. They just, they knew what they had to get on out as far as character dialogue and they got it out, and they're like, "Okay, now that's done. Let's 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 make the scene the way we want to make it." Kevin, what do you what do you want? And I feel like this is like, I, I kind of get the stench of too many cooks in the kitchen on this one. You know, Kevin Costner being as big as he was in the late '80s, early '90s when this was being made. It's well, the early '90s is. I think he would have had too much control, and it just you know, once a script is written and you know it's done. It's really hard to change things without changing whole characters or whole subplots. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, that's a difficult thing to do and do it well. Yeah, but in this one, it's not even clear. Like, I I don't want to blame because honestly, whatever you know, his performance is bringing it. So, I I you know, I would tend to be on his side for whatever arguments he may have had. It's just yeah, I, I I again, normally when it's the sort of thing where I see multiple stories working, I can sort of feel what the original intent was and sort of what is being sacrificed for what. But this one, I'm not even sure what which of the films they're trying to make here. So I don't know if like maybe he saved the pieces of what it originally was and the director or someone else pushed it somewhere else or the screenwriter got distracted with other issues and and he's out there trying to save it. Or if he really just wanted to do this thing and is distracting from the existing work to, to try to push extra things on it. Um, and that's, yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. I, I really do. Whatever the case may be, it just the movie suffers when it shouldn't have suffered, mm-hmm. given given the talent behind making it, given the composer, given the cast, like everything is excellent. Everything is excellent. Yep. So I mean, it's just something happened somewhere in production. And I mean, there's a different. I'm I'm sure there's a much longer version of this movie somewhere in some vault. And I think this is this was universe somewhere in Universal's vault. There's a much longer cut of this movie. I would I would wager. 
This movie's what, like two hours, ten minutes, something like maybe two two hours, five just minutes? Over two, just like barely over two. I'll bet you there's a two and a half hour cut of this movie somewhere. I'll bet you any money there's a two and a half hour cut of this. That's gonna be a hard pass for me. I do not want an extra half hour version of this. <laughs> well, story. no, I mean, if we haven't gotten it now, we're never gonna get it. But <laughs> point point is I don't know, man. Maybe yeah. Universal will have its own streaming service here and they'll need to drum up some business and they'll release the yeah. war extended <laughs> the Snyder cut of the war. It'll it appeals to three people on the planet and I'm yeah. one of them. We brought Zack Snyder to do a, a re-edit of the war. <laughs> it's all in slow-mo now, baby. Uh, well speaking of speaking of another edit, I mean, it made me think of it as I do appreciate how they chose to shoot some of this is uh, for instance, some scenes, the tension is, I think the tension is helped by how they shoot some of these scenes. For example, when they're fighting or we know when they're telling the story is the camera is so the frame is like, it's just them. There's nothing else in the frame. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know whose idea that was or why they would have made that idea. Now, I understand, like, when you're making a – I mean, there were, you know, a time in cinema history where because movie screens were a certain way and because televisions were a certain way, you'd have to shoot things. So, I mean, things were still visible theatrically and then for the TV edit. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I get that. That's not so much an issue anymore because everyone's got the same, you know, flat widescreen TV. But – I mean, that was an issue at one time. Um, I just don't know how much that plays into it. But for example, the Vietnam scene that we're talking about, I mean, the the scene of the movie, if you ask me, with when him him and Dodge fighting their way from the tr- from the trenches to the chopper, and then you see in the distance the the enemies close closing in and shooting. Like then they then him the helicopter pilot have a whole conversation, but while they're being shot at, while there's bullets whizzing past their head, like it doesn't make. But they chose to shoot it in a way that most people would forget that that was happening, and just focus on the scene at hand, which is, you know, the the pilots like we cannot take him. He's too heavy. We're overloaded. We can only take one. It's yeah. one of you or none of you. And then he pulls the pistol out. That I mean. A lot of care was taken to craft that one shot. You can tell because it's great. That one shot is phenomenal. You know where he it's 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 the it's the the, the high angle looking down. He gets the pistol out, and points it up at the pilot. But I mean, right behind the camera, and he says, "We're both going, or none of us leave." And it's so, but it's it's the way it's shot that makes it more powerful than the scene is. And I guess I can understand why you'd have a problem with that oh yeah well that's thing when i say i have a problem with that i have a problem with it like as it fits in the movie there like the whole sequence is well shot and it's like an interesting story that they're telling i just don't think it fits the the movie that i was watching so that that's what's hard i'm like i'm not saying you know he gives an amazing performance i think those sections for what they are in a vacuum are well written and they're well shot like you're saying uh so i don't i don't want anyone to go walk away with the impression that i think they're just bad sections i just think they don't fit in the movie that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, besides the before we get past the halfway point of the movie, besides the Vietnam section, was there anything else that you thought this movie could have done done well by just getting rid of? Um, it it, it really just needs focus. Like, um, honestly, yeah the 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 teacher that that's so, like if you're not going to actually give the weight to examining the racism in the South in the seventies, it feels it feels cheap to like just have a scene and a half sort of giving lip service towards it. Um, I was, well, at, you're, you're, you're very right about that. Yeah, and I, so, I, I think that scene exists solely 
because they wanted a really impactful way to have Elvadine give the ring back to Lydia that she, the friendship ring that she took earlier. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like when I, when I first, when the movie started up and I was, I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like the, you know, this young girl, both, you know, in the seventies, both her friends are black. Like that, that is like a really interesting dynamic they could examine, but they, they had like the one scene of, of her using the slur early on, not understanding that she shouldn't. And then they have the teacher, but like, other than that, it's just in this vacuum and they, they, yeah. So that is that is one that I know I'm like, OK, unless you, unless you're going to give unless that's what this is about and you're going to give time and wait and actually explore these issues other than you want us to like it just felt like another reason to cheer for our main character family, which we were already on in favor of. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that really doesn't outside of getting the ring back to Lydia, yeah. that really doesn't serve a purpose. But you know, I'll tell you why. I mean, because when you see the teacher being yelled at by the mother. Mm-hmm. You're assuming it's Lydia's mother because she's saying things like, I raised my daughter not to see color. I raised my daughter to be fair to everybody. Yeah. You know, I mean, so you assume it's Lydia's mother, Mar Winningham, saying it, but like, yes. we don't know. So, I mean, uh, obviously they didn't use her for the shot. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, it it is a reason, like, it, you know, that we cheer for our main characters. Um, and I think some rearranging needs to happen if you want to keep some other stuff, like the the actual fight over the treehouse um not uh, i guess spoiler alert for the movie we're talking about it has to happen before kevin costner dies like after he dies that sequence feels so out of place and poorly thought out and unweighted in a way that i'm like i'm sorry their their dad just died i don't give a shit about this treehouse as an audience member at this point like that would have been a fun plot throughout it's like okay well he his dad was trying to teach them about nonviolence, and they keep fighting with the neighborhood bullies all summer over this treehouse like it should be a longer ongoing thing and instead it almost feels like this this like 10 minute wacky section they tag on to the end of the film before like it's yeah it's very jarring well, well it almost it, it almost doesn't make sense and i'll tell you why at least for me because it doesn't because when when they leave when they leave the fair after, by the way, another another great scene is those same kids that just kicked the crap out of Stu um, to two of the younger lip Nickies. Um, Kevin Costner walks over and hands them the cotton candy that was intended for Lydia and um, Lois, mm-hmm. the, the sister and the mother. And then he walks back to the car and says, and why Stu says, why did you do that? And he says, because I, I, I think the line is, because it looked like they hadn't been given anything in a long time. Yeah, it, it that is a great scene. Um, it also, I think, illustrates your your my difference watching the film. Like you keep you keep gravitating to the highlights, and like when I think of that, I think of the fact that the screenwriters and directors couldn't think of a convincing way for him to have wandered off on his own and get beat up by the kids at the fair. And literally, he, his dad's like, "Stand here, I'm going to get cotton candy." And then we see the dad walk over to the stand and it's the next, the next shot is him looking around. He can't see his dad. He's like, well, I right. guess I'll, I guess I'll immediately leave for my dad said, look for him, wander outside and be found by the bullies. Well, of course it's, it's, plot and then device. they show that. And then they cut back to Kevin Costner, who's still by the cotton candy stand. And I, yeah, it, it's like, well, we knew we wanted him to wander off. We didn't feel like taking time to, to make sense. Like he could have, the banker could have pulled him aside and he had to step away from the table. Like any, give me one sentence of effort not just to have like i don't care he wanders outside now so like that that is a good scene but it comes after like some garbage they're like ah oh, we need we want to get to this scene so let's just uh put some stuff here and well, okay now we can do our good scene well after because then they then they go back to the tree and of course they're ruffled up because they both just been in a fight and mm-hmm. 
And then he he and then you finish the Dodge story was, you know, that's the part of the story you see with um Simmons dragging Dodge through through the fields, through the streams to the chopper. And then, you know, the pilot says we can't take him. He pulls a pistol out. And then he's, you know, I mean, and then of course you hear the narration over the visual, which is I just I laid my friend down, shut his eyes, and told him to go with God. Like it's a great, it's a great line of dialogue in theory. <laughs> but like unless you have a moment that has that kind of weight to go with the weight your character is saying, it tends to hit flat. And I love it because I'm an optimist and I love, I just love that whenever I'm being baited by director, which is exactly what that was, you know, I take it. I take the bait every time, every single time. It's why I love romantic comedy. That's why I love romance films. Every single time I take the bait, it's fine. I'm just that kind of person. I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a romantic. I'm a, you know, I'm an idiot. Whatever the case may be, I buy it <laughs> every time, which is why I think you're a good, you know, um, you know, you're a good other side of it for me, the other side of the coin, because you're looking at that logically and like, yeah, so that might not make a lot of sense. It's the counterbalance. Out, and that's, that's what it is. No, you're wrong. like, I can still see those things. It's not like I'm just sitting there going like, oh, I don't enjoy anything. Like I enjoy parts of that movie, but overall the experience was not all there for me. Um, but yeah, it's, so- it's after they, it's, so it's after they finish the story where I think the, the most cringy part of the movie comes is, is when he, is when, you know, Stu's like, why didn't you make him take him, dad? Like he's, and then his father's, then he, instead of answering the question, he goes into, you know, I, I like to fight for good in this world and, you know, you know, humanity, blah, 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 blah. It's like, oh my goodness. Is he really, is they're really just spoon feeding us this crap over and over again? Like that's part of the overwrite I was talking about that we could have absolutely done without. Because what film thrives when it's, you know, less is more. Film thrives on subtlety, if you ask me, rather than spoon feeding. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the good writers give you subtle ways to experience things and, and get out of movies what they want you to get. You know, parts that aren't so well written like that part. Again, it's it's great dialogue being delivered, but to to no end at, at all, to no end at all, nothing. So, I mean, that's kind of the problem there is it's just it's just like smacking you over the head saying, hey, idiot, this is what this is what I want you to get. You know, instead of you figuring it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think that's the way it's like the, the lessons good. Just, yeah. It, some, I feel like there's a, there's a little too much of that for me in this one sometimes. Oh, but that was my point though, is after he, he hears the ending of the story and, you know, hugs his dad and his dad tells him that he was way worse off mentally than he ever let on to the kids. Like, it doesn't make sense that the fight comes after that, the fight for the treehouse, because Stu's already, He's already heard the piece of yeah. son. You don't do violence. Don't do it. It's not. It's just. It doesn't help anything. Yeah. So so like if I were rearranging things, I would have them be fighting about the because they're fighting throughout the summer at different times. But the, it's all the treehouse gets done early. They're fighting with the Lipnickies about the treehouse throughout. He hears that story and he tells his friends like, "All right, look, we're not doing this fight anymore. The 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 fight is pointless." Then after his dad passed away. He he snaps. He's like, "Well, everything's a lie. It doesn't matter what my dad says." And that's when they like escalate the fight too far, and they're the ones who take the fight too far. And then it ends up with the little kid getting in danger, and then that's what well, sort of brings it. But back. that's that's the whole thing, though. Is is that it doesn't? What stops the what what? I mean, the kid, the little kid's name in question is Billy, and they've already in in, in this part of the story, they've already swam in a um, what do you like a water tower? 
Yeah, well, because they challenged it. Yeah, so we didn't mention. Yeah, Billy, the, the the sister was bribing the little kid to like steal all the junk for the treehouse from from the Lipnicki family. Uh, so then when they discover it, they they challenge them. They say they're going to take it, and they're like, "How about we do a dare challenge for it?" So the Lipnickis are like, "All right, we're going to make you swim in this old water tower that has this like." It looks almost like a water treatment thing. It has like a, a drain thing that's spinning in it that's sucking the water down. Dude, so the, the, the outside of that thing looks about as raggedy and rickety as any shack I've ever seen. And they're swimming in and there's like hundreds of gallons of water in it. I mean, that's Yeah, a, like that thing should not be functioning. That is clearly no. a disused old thing. <laughs> that would fall over if anyone ever stepped on it. Of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they, so they did the dare once and uh, Elijah Wood swims across and he does it. Uh, and he's like, aha, we have the treehouse now. Um well, but, Although, but that's actually after after his dad is injured, though. So it it, it is after he's injured, and yeah. because he was Stu was still building the treehouse when his father got injured. Yes, and so we we come to the fight where the Lipnikis they don't even though Stu won the bet they don't go away and they come back with like Molotov cocktails and tractors and yeah, it's insanity. God, but <clears throat> here's the thing that bothers me about that, and the, 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 this is the Hollywood curse of like of everyone just knowing what one character knows and going with it is, you know, it's like the telepathy or something, but is, you know, these people are fighting and like, they're using the, I don't know what you call that, that, that metal gun that shoots apples, but that thing probably shoots apples at a pretty high velocity. Like we're talking like, if you can hit with one of those, you're, you're out for the afternoon, especially in the face, you're out for the afternoon. You're done. And for some reason they got, you know, they have firecrackers and they have, I mean, smoke grenades from his dad's army chest. And then, for, then like Molotov cocktails get thrown. This is, this, this escalates quite a bit. But the thing that breaks everyone out of the, the, the Vietnam rage is, you know, Billy is climbing the tower and Stu was chasing him to try to save him. And of course, everyone just telepathically just knows to stop fighting and do it. But what would have, I think served as a better way to end that fight was them somehow getting news that the dad passed. And then, you know, then they all just kind of have a ceasefire and then just, you know, because that's like the, a sign of respect from the lip Nikki. So it kind of redeems them a little bit, you know, where yeah, the movie does the dad it, that was nice to them, so they could they they think highly of the dad now. Um, exactly, that's what I mean. But this whole thing anything is, works better than what they did, which is have this big kid fight over the treehouse after well, the dad has died. Well, it depends on how much they double down on the guardian angel aspect, which to me is a very weird aspect to double down it's on. So it's it's that thing like it's just kind of peppered in a couple scenes. It's and it doesn't really follow through. And but also. This is a film that actually has a Vietnam vet who talks about post-traumatic stress disorder. And when they have these kids fighting over this treehouse, throwing Molotov cocktails at each other, <laughs> they do the needle drop of give me shelter. And you can't you can't just have the song going war children. It's just a shot away while they're having this fight over a treehouse. I'm like, that's a bridge too far. I'm sorry, film. I'm out. Well, it is a bridge too far, but I mean, in the '90s, it wasn't a bridge too far. It was, I'm uh, sure, Costner. That was, I'm sure, that was his idea. I'm sure of it, well, and I'm yeah. sure. I mean, one of the That's powerful funny. scenes there is when, of course, Stu is standing at the top of the treehouse as it's burning, but he's look, he's looking around and he's seeing like because there's what like twelve or thirteen kids involved in this fight, something like that, yeah, yeah. But like he's looking around, he's doing the thing where like he's taking, he's taking it in, he's taking in the consequence of the actions of like. 
you see some kids over there, like it's a slow-mo. He, you know, he looks and the camera goes over. He sees some kids, like one kid's, one of the Libnickies is holding his friend and the other is punching him. Then Linnea looks over and, you know, his sister and her friend are strangling one of the Libnicky girls. And it's just, all of it seems too intense for what, what was intended in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it all seems like you said, a bridge too far, which I mean, does it hurt my viewing of this movie? No, I'm going to love this movie till, you know, the day I pass away. But I mean, may, I mean, I, for example, I mean, anyone else, is that going to persuade them? I don't think so. So that's fair. Just, yeah. But as someone watching it for the first time in the year of our Lord, 2022, <laughs> uh, it, yeah, that the, the, it was hard to get past some of those things. Because uh, it's, it, it's, it's all just, it's all just asking you to just forget other things set up and, you know, the guardian angel thing comes in. Like, why would you waste time on this guardian angel thing? Like, I get why they wanted to do it. Although I just, I would have taken that out altogether. Just mm-hmm. gone. Completely. Also very, very uh, granted. I, I was, you know, maybe dealing with my cat or something. It's very confusing to me because when they decide to have, uh, so Kevin Costner gets injured. He gets a, he gets a, a new job. That's going to pay him a lot better. Basically draining this mine that has been flooded. Um, and yeah, we briefly mentioned that, yeah, there's, there's a cave in and his, his working friend gets his leg caught under the rocks and he helps him out. But in the process of that rocks then fall on and crush Kevin Costner. Uh, so he's in intensive care and they have the scene where the mom is staying next to him and she's like, do you even know who I am? And he like wakes up and says her name and then they, and then he dies. Yeah. Like the, the very next scene, the next scene, they're, they're yeah. like, they're like, your dad's dead. I'm like, what? Why did you have the scene of him saying her name? Like, why did you have, why did you bring him back? You know? Like, yeah. The film, the film language, like I can't, I'm sorry. Like again, I, I don't want to say you have to do the same thing that every film has always done, but there are certain, like there's a language to film that you need to at least speak where I'm like, okay, someone's in a coma. A loved one is begging for them to give them a sign. They wake up and say their name and then they cut away from the scene. I'm like, okay, I get it. He's now back. He's fine. If he's going to die, you need to stay there and let me see that you can't just cut away and then go. And or 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 just never have him come out of the coma. Like why Either would you? Either way, have... you cannot have him. You can't show him. Yeah, you could have not gone back to the hospital and then just gone. And when he gets home, give him the news that he's dead. It's it was it was very in a way where I was I was convinced I was like oh there's a mistake or some confusion or something because what's I don't understand what the point of that is. <laughs> I was so confused by that scene that then I, I was waiting for it to be like, oh no, I'm sorry, we got we got the wrong telegram. He's fine. Well, it's just it's a strange sequence of events, which mm-hmm. again lends me to believe that there is a longer version of this. Like literally, from him waking up and saying like and like looking at Lois and knowing who she is, his wife, mm-hmm. to the kids. To the very next scene, which is like six seconds of the yeah. kids walking in the house and she's crying, it's like your daddy died. I mean, there's there's got to be several minutes or at least a couple of scenes that are just deleted on the cutting room floor somewhere. Like there has to be. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I mean, that makes more sense. If, I mean, the way we get it doesn't make any sense is what I'm trying to say. So it's so odd that there has to be something in between that. Yeah. Which is a shame that we never I don't I don't understand in this digital age why every studio wouldn't just if they have a longer cut somewhere, what does it hurt you to put it out? or release it on Blu-ray or whatever. What does it hurt? You know, it doesn't hurt. I mean, it's cost you almost nothing. You already shot it. It's, it's already in the can. So just, you know, I, I don't know, but maybe that's just me being hopeful that one day we will get the extended version <laughs> of the war. <laughs> yeah. Oh. 
uh yeah it's it's very odd but then yeah that and then yeah that's of course the the youngest kid the young lip gets their lip um uh he gets uh you know he's climbing the tower he falls in which is also another weird moment i was uh, like uh, he's standing on top of the treehouse and he just like happens to see the little kid climbing up that tower uh, you know, as you said, it's just they all just telepathically know, like, oh, we have to stop fighting. We need, let's all go to the water tower now. Um, it just doesn't make any, how they set up the movie. Like, the cotton candy doesn't make any sense if no. if the kids don't give the respect back. That's to, yeah. They, they, nothing know. comes of that. I was waiting. I was waiting for a moment for like the oldest brother to be like, come on, get the Molotov. Let's pull the treehouse down, and like the two who got the candy be like, I don't know, he's not so bad. Maybe we should just leave him alone. No, I mean, that's that's. I mean, we don't. Even I know. I know what you're probably. saying, but like, I know what you're saying, but yeah. I mean, it's there. There was no way for them to give the respect back. Yeah, which is what I was waiting for the first time I watched it, and even the subsequent times, even though I knew what didn't happen, is because yeah. it just making it just doesn't make any sense. But uh, yeah, of course. Uh, then uh, Elijah Wood jumps in. He he pulls the kid out, so he saves him. They're given him and his sister are you know resuscitating him, and he comes back. And uh, this is the one thing. This is the one time when I was like, oh, I think this is just this was a, just bad filmmaking because when he comes back, they do an extended sequence where it's in slow mo, but they didn't shoot it in slow mo. And the effect feels very wrong to me. Yeah. When he's like, you know, he basically coughs up the water. They show like slow-mo on him and then slow-mo reaction shots. Um, and that's the thing. You can do sort of the dropped frame slow-mo, the after the fact slow-mo to create a jarring disorienting effect. But this is like them like breathing a sigh of relief and being happy. And it, it just felt very wrong to me in a way that I was that like the rest of the film seemed made well. And then this was suddenly, I was like, Oh, this, this seems like a miscalculation by the editor or the the director or whoever whoever made this choice. Yeah, it's very strange. It, it's just it's very strange. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it, that the way you have the one we have because that's where the studio wanted it. I mean, that's yep. it makes you wonder how it happened. But I mean, see, I mean, if you're gonna double down on the Garden Angel thing, which they did, mm -hmm. if you're gonna do it, I at least want I at least want to know it and be able to walk away with all right. I could see that, which is what I think we do when, you know, he's, you know, I mean, Billy wakes up and is like, I, I, there was a, there was someone holding my hand. He looked like you just older said I had to come back and take care of my daddy. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, I guess if I have to appreciate it, I do. So, I mean, does that, does that make sense in a weird way? I guess. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah. I apply that logic to like so many sequels now that just suck of a franchise I used to love, like you know, Alien, Terminator. I'm like if I have to love it, fine, I'll, I'll love it. It's fine. But like, <laughs> um, it's just one of those things. Like I just, <laughs> I wish they'd have gone in a, in a number of different directions than what they did, and just because the movie suggests that they would have, you know, it, it's almost like writing a paper, which you 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 know the 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 pay the structure they give you in what like middle school high school is you know you write your your opening paragraph your thesis then you talk about your thesis three paragraphs closing paragraph done that's basic of a paper it's like you talk about your thesis and then you never you never come back to it and then you just end the paper <laughs> yeah it, it that's that's the thing it's it, it's just confusing on that level for me um but like i said by large there are great performances in it there's a lot of good filmmaking in it um it yeah just the the they didn't sort of assemble a whole thing in a very just very baffling way uh to me but uh i i'd never heard of this film so if, yeah if you like me you never heard of it it's certainly worth a watch i don't think i'll be re-watching it anytime soon but 
How did uh, you watch it, by the way? Where did you find it? I just got it streaming. Where was it? Oh, like you on Amazon Prime? Yeah, like I, I just got it. Um, uh, okay. Just for a one-time stream. Because I do, I know it exists. I, of course, have it on VHS and I have it on DVD. I don't know what's on Blu-ray. I'm not quite yeah, sure. No, I, did, I did not order the Blu-ray for this one. Sorry. I, <laughs> I, I appreciate your dedication to getting the fall that you did. Uh, well, I mean, that easy. also comes that I couldn't, it, it was all, all of the streaming services. It was on, for some reason, it was available only in the UK version of all the streaming services. So I couldn't, you know, I don't have a VPN, which I, you know, might think about now, but do I can, I mean, this is not a hard one to find folks. Here's the yeah. thing about the war. It's not a hard one to find. It's an, it's a very easy watch. And it's it's a it's a big budget movie that people largely just passed over. It didn't make any money. It didn't make a whole lot of money, but it was it was a vehicle for you know Elijah Wood. I mean that might be one of the best performances of his already great career. So, yeah, I mean, he, and he got a lot of buzz. Like I was reading up at least on the because I had not heard of it. I at least read up a little bit on the reaction at the time, and at least he was pretty universally praised for his his performance in the film. Before years before he was Frodo Baggins. Yeah, but a few years after he was video game kid in Back to the Future Part Two. Oh, well, that was right. He was. He, I mean, he wasn't he in he was he in one of the Free Willies? Was was he in one of the Free Willies? Uh, was that some, I don't or was that think some, he was. Some, somebody uh, else. He was in The Good Son. Oh, he and... was in The Good Son. Oh, and you know what else he's in is um Forever Young. I think that's him too. Mm, yeah. With Mel Gibson, that's uh, another one of my movies I watch a lot too. Um, I've watched that for a while though, so I can be getting my kids mixed up. But I think I'm pretty sure it's him. You're not sitting um, around watching Forever Young every other week. <laughs> no, it's one I haven't watched in a while. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm a male faithful, so it's one I will. He's been he's been in a lot of movies lately, though. So I had to, I got to catch up on some of them. But oh, he was North. Let's not let us never let him forget that he was North in the film North. Elijah Wood was. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. What is what is that? Uh, North is a like a famous flop bad movie. Here's the thing. Uh, I my parents had it on VHS, and I 1994. Really... Does that sound right? Uh, yeah, yeah that, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And I remember really enjoying it when I was a kid. And apparently it's like a notoriously terrible film. Like all the bad movie podcasts have covered it for being so awful. Um, and I haven't revisited it. And But it was also the time in my life when like all movies were good. Like when you're when you're a kid at a certain point, just watching a movie is the thing that's good. So it doesn't matter. There's no I, there's no concept of good or bad movie. There is movies are good. <laughs> I like watching movies. Well, be- here's that's Elijah Wood, Bruce Willis, Julia Louis Dreyfus, Jason Alexander. Mm-hmm. Decent cast too. Yeah, it's it's this wild story of this kid who's like the perfect son, and his parents don't appreciate him, so he's gonna like become emancipated and go find better parents who will appreciate him. And he goes on this like world tour to try out different parents, and it's oh like, God. if memory serves, it's pretty racist in the depiction of people because uh, he like goes to some Eskimos and they're they're talking about like putting old people on ice and show like it's it's very broad depictions of every person that you could and and Bruce Willis is yeah it's I, I I'm afraid to rewatch it because I remember like right now it exists in my brain a place like I had fun watching that as a kid and that's as far as it goes well that was actually that was the same year as the war that was 94 mm-hmm. what a so... year for the kid Oh, Flipper. That's what I was thinking about. Flipper. Oh, Flipper. Not, yeah, not he wasn't. That's right. He was the definitely... other the other dolphin movie that was big for a while. Yeah. yeah, there's I mean, and then Deep Impact. I love Deep Impact. I love the faculty. I think the faculty is brilliant. The faculty is great. I love the faculty getting name dropped in Cabin in the Woods. That's fun. 
Um, yeah. And then after Lord of the Rings, we have a ton of. I mean, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is also fantastic. Oh yeah, that's. A, I need to rewatch that one. It's been too too long. And he's he's one of the villains in Sin City. He's one of the murderers. But Green Street Hooligans was was, was all right. Oh, I forgot he was in Bobby too. The uh, you remember that we were both at Carmike when that came out. That was a fairly big release. Oh, which one says? Oh yes. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I remember. I remember seeing that. And Emilio directed that. I think Emilio. I Estevez. watched that film and I remember almost nothing about it. That's the impact that movie had. <laughs> Fair enough. So Fair sorry. Enough. I, like I love you, Emilio Estevez. I'm a I'm a Mighty Ducks kid. I grew up at the right time, but boy howdy, did that movie not make an impact? Oh man, Emilio. What happened, Emilio? Ah. <sighs> Well, that's the worst. I got, I, we need to rate this thing, right? Yeah. So, I mean, as we move into the closing comments for the war, okay, give me without without giving. I don't want to hear your number first. What I want to hear is, and I think you said it a number of times, but give me like the three or four sentences. What you how you would describe the war to someone? Your your analysis of the war in like three to four sentences. Um, a somewhat unsuccessful film that has broader ambitions and some good performances, but it is a little lifeless for me. Yeah. I mean, that's, I don't think you're too far. I mean, I mean, I imagine that's pretty common analysis of that movie, but it, I, I mean, I guess I would describe it as a movie that has some wonderful ideas that doesn't capitalize on the right ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, it's almost like a, a term paper submitted by a student and the professor is like, you have some good ideas here. You just, you, you need to spend more time with these and less with this. I mean, that's a lot of films break down to that one category right there. Spend more time on this and less time on that. You know, it's like, I mean, yeah, it's just to me, I, but this is a movie that hit me so young. I just, I ran, I must've ran this thing 30 times. <laughs> All that money I wasted and my parents wouldn't just buy the friggin' VHS. <laughs> That was the VHS were pretty expensive though, still too. But um, I mean, it's man, I ran this so this so many times. But yeah, but I mean, I if, if I had to give this a number, and I'm of course putting everything on the same scale, the the war sits about the war is about a five or six for me. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna put a dead at a five, which is just kind of like there's good stuff, there's bad stuff. It, like for me, that's the most damning thing. Is it's just fine. Like I, it's, I almost want a film to be either like so good I I need to talk about it, or so bad that I'm like you can't believe how bad this thing is, and it's just kind of a, an okay thing. But this is not a. This is miles ahead of a bad movie. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, yeah, it's a five. It, it's better than a bad movie, but that doesn't. But if I'm going to spend my time watching, that's there. I, I don't. I don't plan a rewatch of this because I'm either going to watch a movie that I think is really good, so above a five. Or a movie that's like dumb and goofy and bad. That's like worse than a five because it's it's so like laughable. I mean that, that's that's fair. And there are several. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Velocipaster, but man, I, oh, I've I've seen clips. Yeah, there there are many. Uh, that's thing. It's very tough now. Now with the internet and sort of the boom of the so bad it's good. There are some people out there just trying to make those things on purpose, and it's very hard because a lot of times when you when you're trying to make something like that, it's it's even more painful than. Then like it accidentally it. happening yeah, yes. yeah I, that's I, I get the that. magic is the is the hubris and the the singularity of vision that someone can create these things but that's i mean there are a lot of cult movie classics that like are so terrible but like they were made to be serious and no yes. one takes them serious i mean it's just there's so many of those yeah. those are the best one i mean those are the ones that like are great though because mm-hmm. the, the one the bad movies they spent tons of money on that are just horrendously terrible yep but I mean, there's there's a ton of them. I'm, I mean, 
Yeah. But Brandon, what do you have in mind for the next episode of Origin Story? Uh, I think we're going to jump into, I'm going to go a little later in the timeline than you again. Uh, I believe there's a good chance, I haven't fully examined my list, but I think this probably is the first foreign language film that I either saw or really enjoyed. Uh, and we're going to do from 2002 Hero starring Jet Li. I knew it. I knew you were going to say Hero. I'm actually, I actually haven't seen this movie in a while. I'm very excited to revisit it because, man, Hero, stylistically, it is, it is a damn visual treat. It is gorgeous. Yeah, they do a very, they do a whole like Rashomon thing where they retell the story multiple times from like with different truths being told, and they they use colors to kind of distinguish like what what retelling you're in, and yeah, just striking visuals, really great fights as you might imagine, um, and just yeah, the, the it, like I said, I don't know if it's the first foreign language film I saw, but it's certainly the first one that I was like, oh, that was so good. That that sort of opened my mind up to. Yeah, because it was 2002, so I was still in high school when it came out. I didn't see it like right away. It was probably late high school, though, for me, um, or maybe even early college by the time I saw it. I can't remember if, how many years it was. If memory serves, that was a really big deal when it came out. Like That was a huge – we didn't get it locally at Carmike, mm-hmm. but I mean I know it was like in Pittsburgh and stuff but or like bigger city, Columbus and Pittsburgh, but that was a really big deal. Like The DVD came out, and that was a – that was one that a lot of people purchased. Like, well, I can't remember if that, if that was the start of uh, they did the thing where like Quentin Tarantino presents, where basically he just like slapped his name on uh, some sort of Asian films to to promote them in America. That might have been one of them. I can't remember. It could have been uh, just just to get the kind of the buzz circulating in the states. Sure, mm-hmm. but I remember. That, I mean, if memory serves, that movie made quite an impact when it came out. It just was a big deal. Oh yeah, this is not some unknown hidden gem. Like this is a well-known film that I think I think a lot of people have seen. Hopefully, most of your audience have already seen. But if not, uh, go ahead and give it a watch so you can follow along with the conversation next episode with us. And uh, it's 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 very good. I'm very excited to rewatch it. It's been a few years for me since I sat down and just watched it. I honestly, from time to time, I will watch fights from it. Like I pulled up just sequences and different scenes and things from this. Uh, but it's been a while since I've sat down and watched the whole thing. Oh, I I, I do that quite often actually. I watch sequences but you know that everyone knows that but yeah, yeah that's so all right that's i'm very excited to revisit it's been a while since i've seen hero but i'm i mean i'm a big fan of the of what well, that's jet lee right uh yeah yeah, yeah. I'm a, jet lee is the the lead character uh, who's a nameless soldier um yeah it, it, it's very interesting yeah he he's basically uh he has a meeting with the king of uh the nation and he is uh, regarding sort of his stories that the king has put these bounties out on these his enemies and he is this nameless soldier who shows up claiming to have defeated all the king's enemies. And so he's sort of recounting the tales of the king. I'm excited. I'm excited to get back into that. I, <laughs> You know, you said 2002. For some reason, I don't know why it popped into my head. But for a brief second, and I mean a brief second, I thought you were going to say Reign of Fire. <laughs> uh, I actually watched Reign of Fire on my other podcast <laughs> where we watched uh, uh, quote unquote bad or questionable or weird or dumb movies. Uh because I really enjoy Reign of Fire. It's big and dumb and loud, but I have a lot of fun with it. I mean, that's I mean that's what it is. Big and dumb and loud. But that's and dumb. they have the, the scene where they're reenacting Star Wars in the bunker for the kids. And they're all so enraptured. It's great. It's let's, just fun. Let, let us not forget the, the flying leap that Matthew McConaughey takes. And the dragon that's, that's, his, and that's the climax of the film. As he jumps <laughs> in a dragon's mouth. 
<laughs> I mean, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's, uh, yeah, Matthew McConaughey. It's bald heads, like jacked arms, smoking a cigar at all times. It's it's great. And but that's Bale. another. But that's another example of like a movie that they put a ton of money behind, mm-hmm. and it just like it just. And it's at sometimes it's well written. Some of the dialogue is great, and then sometimes the dialogue is so terrible. Yeah, and it's it's like the I, I'm like I don't know how the idea didn't make four hundred billion dollars. It's like uh, okay, like post apocalypse because dragons came back. Like done. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know how that doesn't make all the money in the universe. I've I've long pondered why. I mean, I don't. I mean, there are a whole lot less film lovers in the world than than claim they are because I mean. Otherwise, you'd theaters would be packed every weekend with these kind of movies, but they're not. But that's a that's a that's a that's a whole different episode of discussion. <laughs> All right, well, Brandon, thank you very much for joining me this evening. And oh, uh, happy I, as always, sir. Happy as always. I'm glad I got to introduce you to another movie from my from my past that um that somehow escaped my repeated. You should watch this, Brandon, working in car. Mike, you should watch this. You should watch this. You should watch this. <laughs> well, I should watch everything. I should watch nothing. Is what it comes down to. <laughs> no, everything, everything, not nothing, everything, everything. Well, thank you very much for listening to us. This has been an episode of Origin Story. And um, until next time, Brandon, I wish you well. I hope you find another project you want to work on on the stage. That's good. I'll talk to you soon, sir.